And without further ado, at this time, we will be continuing our series through the book of Matthew. <laughs> good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So good to see you. Glad you chose to worship uh, with us today. Um, and um, how many have been enjoying the reading plan as we're going through this book of Matthew? Yeah, so look, don't be intimidated. If you're falling behind, if you feel like you're, you, you, you need to catch up, don't worry about it. We are, we are ready to do that with you. Uh, so this week, we're going to be reading from about chapter 9 through the end of chapter 12. That's kind of where we are. Uh, the way it works out is close to about a chapter a day. It's not that much. Um, if you're behind, you can read two chapters within, I don't know, five minutes or so, maybe 10 minutes at the most, um, and you can catch up. Uh, and then what we're doing is as we go through um, the certain readings through the week, we pick a sermon from uh, that section. And so um, I'm a little bit ahead of you. I'm going to be uh, sharing a sermon out of Matthew chapter 12. This week, you guys will read nine and then catch up with us at uh, chapter 12. And I want to jump right in, but I wanted to encourage you first uh, to, to read with us. Uh, as, you're, as you're reading the Bible, you're going to get your own nuggets of gold. Um, I don't know how many times I read through the Bible and I'll see some parts and get nothing out of it. And then I'll read the same part maybe a few months later or a year later and something jumps out of me and I could swear that I got nothing out of it previous. And that's just the way God's word works. So I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a very good consumer. Um, me and my family love uh, products and we love ordering things and we love Amazon. Um, anybody else love Amazon? I can remember um, when, when Zachary was about three years old, um, we would get ready for work. We would get him ready first. Uh, to drop him off at the babysitter, and we'd sit him down in front of the TV with children's programs, and we would go and get ready, and we would remember the same commercials, and for some reason, of all the kids' commercials and toy commercials, there's one commercial that would come on that had nothing to do with children or toys, and it had to do with computers, and so it kind of went like this, one of those kind of infomercial-style commercials that says, are you tired of your computer freezing going to a blank screen, dropping down low, and all this stuff, right? And it says, well, you need to go to finallyfast.com. Anybody ever heard of finallyfast.com by chance? Or is that just a Guam thing? Maybe that was just a Guam thing. And so I can remember being frustrated one day and going, man, and, and Zachary, only three years old, going, what's wrong, Dad? And I go, my computer, my stupid computer, I just want to throw it. And he goes, Dad, you need to go to finallyfast.com. How many know marketing works? How many of you have ever bought a skin product and used it because it promised to take off years from your appearance and then you realize later it doesn't really work that way? How many of you have ever bought a piece of exercise equipment? Anybody ever had one of those ab rollers that wheel with the handles and you're like, man, I'm gonna be ripped then you realize it doesn't work that way. How many spent a fortune on a treadmill and said, by next year, I'm going to fit back into my high school clothes. I'm going to wear my bathing suit without a shirt at the pool. And then you realize it doesn't quite work that way. 
Man, how many of you have ever bought a health supplement? Maybe it was called Jacked. Or, you know, some protein or amino or creatine or something, right? Because you were going to put on some muscle and then you realize later, after being consistent for a week, (laughs) that it didn't work. It didn't quite work that way. And sometimes we treat the kingdom of God the same way. God gives us great things and he gives us incredible things and, and there's these gifts because God loves us and he gives us these things. We, we know that the word of God is true and we hang on to these promises for, I don't know, whatever, a week, a couple of weeks, a couple of months and we think it's not working. And when we get into a situation like that, we, we come to a crossroads in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirit. And we begin to decide, are we going to keep going? One of my favorite phrases, and if you communicate with me at all on the phone or through text or email, one of my favorite phrases is keep on keeping on. To me, that's a, that's a good communication about what faith, uh, what, what faith is about. And so sometimes we hit these crossroads because we read the Bible and we don't see the results right away. And we decide, man, am I going to keep on keeping on? And so as we continue our series in the book of Matthew, we're going to read a story in Matthew chapter 12. As I said, something similar is going on here. Some religious people decided to take something great that was God's idea and turn it into something totally different while still making it look like it was God's idea. Before we get on all the religious people, I just want to say we're pretty good at that ourselves. And so when you take something that God has designed and you make it something else or you use it in a different way, you will never get the intended results. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 through 13, let me give you some context before we jump into our text. This is a continuation of a previous argument that Jesus had with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus. He's always going back and forth with, with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And the people who, they are the, the, the religious representation of the day. And so we're about to read where Jesus picks up. He's in a previous fight with them. And later on that day, he comes to their synagogue. He's on their turf. And they continue to fight. And so the accusation against Jesus at that time was that he didn't keep the Sabbath. And we aren't very familiar because our culture doesn't really celebrate the Sabbath the same way that Jewish people do. But what was happening is as they were on their way, the the disciples got hungry and they went through a wheat field And so they grab some of the kernels of wheat off of the plant. And wheat has a husk, I guess maybe that's the proper term, around the the kernels. And so what they did was they they rubbed it in their hands like this to get that husk off. And then they ate it. And then the Pharisees said, oh, you're working on the Sabbath. The whole point of the Sabbath was to rest. Say rest. And so they go and they start to mix it up with Jesus They claim he broke the Sabbath, um, and then now they're in front of a bunch of people. They're at the synagogue or the temple, and uh, and then we here we um, 
end up at our text. This is right after Jesus. Uh, after he fought with the, the Pharisees, he went and he started to cast out demons from people. Uh, and then they accused him of being on the same team as Satan. Oh, you're casting out the demons because you're on Satan's team. And Jesus says, how can I be on Satan's team and cast out Satan? It doesn't work. And then the famous you know, uh, saying that you've heard in the Bible that a kingdom divided uh, uh, among itself cannot stand. And so you get a picture of Jesus and the disciples are going back and forth. And now we end up here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. He went on from there, speaking of Jesus, and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, Pay attention to the cues in the, in the writing. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they may accuse him? He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This was Jesus' conclusion. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored healthy, just like the other. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we just ask you to take your place in this sanctuary. We ask you to take your place in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask you, as always, to come give us understanding. I pray that you bring depth to your word in such a way that it makes an impact in our lives right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we see the fight continues. Jesus, he goes to the synagogue. They come across a man with a withered hand. I almost omitted this part out of my message, but I couldn't because I feel like this man represents us in so many ways. First, this man had a situation. Say situation. And just like him, we all have, some of us have relational situations. Some of us have financial situations. Some of us have spiritual situations. And this man really shouldn't have been there. Because of his condition, he wouldn't have been able to participate in the temple worship. And if one hand was shriveled up. It meant that he had one good hand. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can show up to church and hide my bad hand and show my good one all the time. And this is probably what this man was going through. So he must have been horrified, maybe even humiliated, when Jesus straight called him out and made his situation the object of a very important lesson. Jesus does what many times we won't do. Jesus has no problem confronting our situation. But unlike some of us, Jesus' motive is different when he confronts a situation. He doesn't expose you to frame you. He exposes the situation to fix you. Totally different. The Bible tells us that as long as something stays hidden... God can't deal with it. It's one thing to know when something isn't working. It's another thing to know why something 
isn't working. And that's what Jesus does. He speaks to the place of our life that's not working. He speaks to the place of our lives that's not functioning correctly. He speaks to the place in our lives that we learn to conceal. But in his faithfulness, he reveals his strength through our weakness. He's an amazing God. And when God fixes you, he doesn't just fix the moment that you're in. It's not a temporary fix. It's not a Band-Aid. He goes back, way back, until he finds the source of the problem. And then he fixes it. Because when he can fix the source of the problem, you will never be broken again. That's what he wants to do. If he can find the root and fix it, you're good for the rest of your time. So he'll use your situation to fix the problem that created it. And so we can dig and we can learn a few things from this passage. One of the things that we can learn is that God's compassion places people's needs over religious rules. You can tell what religion is because it always makes you work to earn whatever the reward is. And so here's this incredible gift that God gave called the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day take that incredible gift and turn it into something else it was never meant to be. And so this is a great place to show you that the real situation that we're talking about here is not so much the man's withered hand. It's the people's heart that was the problem. And so he, Jesus starts to go for this. But he doesn't forget us. He doesn't forget you. Although he's fixing a problem, he's fixing a, a glitch in the system, he never forgets about us. He's faithful to us. And so it's one thing to have a bad hand, especially in Vegas. It's another thing to have a bad heart. Matthew 12, verse 11 and 12 says this. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep reviewing what Jesus said? If it falls into a pit, on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And Jesus came to this conclusion. He says, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. God has no problem with rules. He's the one who came up with them. They're called commandments. But when those rules become more important than the people they were meant for, then Houston, we have a problem. I had to put that in there because there's this new place. There's a hot chicken place called Houston Hot Chicken. And the hottest hot sauce is called Houston. We got a problem. <laughs> and so me and Zion, we, you know, you just need an excuse to go places sometimes. We're like, there's a new place. We've never been there. We're like, yeah. We should go. And we went, but I did not get to Houston. We have a problem. <laughs> I kind of went in the middle, and it was bomb. It was good. But in Jewish culture, observant Jews who practice Judaism, they strictly adhere to certain laws. The Ten Commandments are the foundation of all of those laws. But from those first Ten Commandments, Judaism has created... Uh, after that is another 600 plus laws and sub-laws that you must follow. 
And like we said earlier, the Sabbath or the Shabbat, as it's known in, in Israel, last Fe- uh, not last February, the February before that, a little over a year ago, I had the privilege of going to uh, Israel. And I can remember uh, coming back from uh, one trip, we get back to our hotel, and I'm trying to go back to my, my hotel room, me and my roommate. Uh, it just happened to be Shabbat, or the Sabbath. In Jewish culture, Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night and picks up um, at sundown on Saturday night. So we get home on a Saturday, and we're trying to get back to our hotel room, and there's a uh, elevator that's open, and there was two Orthodox Jews in the elevator. And so me and my friend are running for the elevator, and just as we're about to get in, we hear a voice say, no, 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 don't get in that one. And so we stop, and we, you know, and, and there was a lady calling us out. She was like, no, 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 she worked at the hotel. She was like, don't get in that one. Come, come out. We thought we did something wrong. Matter of fact, when I stepped out of the elevator, I turned around to the men, and they're wearing their, their black hats, and I said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Like I did something wrong. And I said, well, you know, what's the big deal? She said, no, 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 that's a Shabbat elevator. And I said, oh, what does that mean? And she says, it means that you are not allowed to press the buttons because it is labor intensive. It takes work to press a button. So that elevator was programmed to stop at every floor. That's how serious they take these rules. Now take that understanding, that's today. And imagine the context when we're talking about Jesus and he's talking about, you know, what he's talking about to the Pharisees. Rules and regulations are alive and well in the religious world. I'll tell you that right now. And sometimes that religious spirit shows up in our church. And we have a lot of good rules. I'll give you 10 rules on how to be a good Christian. What you can and can't do, what you should and shouldn't do. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with rules, is there? There's a lot of truth to them. But Jesus is saying something. He's saying there's something that's more important than the rules. And it's the person. That's who Jesus is after. How many live in a subdivision that's managed by HOA? You know where I'm going with this. Most of us have a homeowner's association. If you don't, God bless you. (laughs) I will spend the weekend at your house to get away. They have all these rules and regulations. There's one universal rule that works all the time. And it goes like this. You will always find what you're looking for. And there are some members of my homeowners association, their life's mission is to find something wrong on my property. And when they find it, because the universal rule, if you're looking for it, you will find it every time. They'll find a weed. There's one that said, your cable, I had cable run to my house when we first moved in, your cable is not the same color as your wall. Anybody ever got that one? And they send the letter to your mailbox. It's like photocopied, like cut and paste. On the letter with a picture of your house in the letter. 
And in case you missed it in the mailbox, it's in your inbox. And they make sure that you get it. They'll send you verbatim, word for word, the rule that you have broken. And they'd love to do it. And there are some people, I'm just saying, if this is you, you better sit tight. (laughs) That just always seem to look for negatives in people. And they will always find something negative in somebody. Now, I'm aware that as our church grows, there are going to be people who show up at church who find something they don't like about this church. And to that, I say, God bless you. We will love you. But I'm, I'm okay with that. But if there's something that's bothering you, or if there's something that's offending you, something that has you not right, you owe it to the person, if you love them, to say something. Because what it does is it gives them a chance to, number one, get it right. Because sometimes the complaint is valid. I've been there. I don't know if you have, but I have. And it's humble pie going, You're right. But if you don't go to them, they don't have a chance to say that. They don't have a chance to get it right. And number two, they don't have a chance to apologize if the offense is valid. If you want a healthy church, learn to love each other enough to say something. I don't know if you've ever, you know, been with somebody and all of a sudden you hear from somebody else that somebody said something. And you're going, oh, me? Right? You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, not, not a big deal. Then you get home, you're like, ow. Anybody ever been there? Anybody experienced that? Right? How many want to pick up rocks? You're like, wait till I see them again. Right? But if you don't go to them, they don't have a chance to apologize or get it right. So um, we're talking about HOA Christians. I'm not done with you yet. Make it their life mission to find something wrong with believers or with the church or with the music. They only have three people on their worship team. (laughs) How many many of that was some of the best worship we've ever had, isn't it? You know what makes great worship? Not the instruments and not the singers. What makes great worship are great worshipers. So if your worship wasn't great, I would say, what was wrong with you? Just saying. But sometimes religion or a religious spirit shows up here in our church and among our spiritual family. And it emerges amongst God's people. And they start caring less about people and they start caring more about adhering to rules. And Jesus goes, you missed the whole point if that's what you're focusing on. They were actively looking to find something wrong. And that's why they were fighting with Jesus. And we're preconditioned to do the same thing. We criticize leaders. We criticize political figures. Uh, we, we complain about uh, the cold. Well, guess what? It's warmed up. And then we complain about the heat. And it's like, it's like we're conditioned to be this way. 
But because they were focused on the negative, they totally missed the miracle. And I don't want that for us to be so totally zoned in on something that's a minor that you miss something that's major. Every day we wake up and you and I have an opportunity to experience God in the most impactful way and we have the possibility to miss it because we're busy looking for something else. And if you don't witness God's power in your life, And you can't be a witness to others. Let me say that again. If you don't witness God's power in your own life, you can't be a witness to somebody else. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss it. Some of y'all are offended like, (laughs) sucking your teeth. Here's a question. Have you already predetermined in your heart and mind who God can bless or when God can bless or how God can bless? When you've predetermined, there's a word for that. It's called prejudice. A lot of times we attach prejudice to to race or something social. But the definition of prejudice is in the word. Prejudice, prejudge. And a lot of times we've taken the gavel from God and we've made our decision. We have our verdict. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. Looking for a reason. They were looking for a reason. Jesus was a threat. So they had already made up their mind against him. They already determined their verdict and now they just needed to collect the evidence. So the situation that we're reading about was a total setup. Total setup. But you know it's the same in reverse. If you wake up and look for the positive, you see things differently. When you believe that God is for me, you look for evidence. When you believe that and you're looking for positive things, you can say like the Apostle Paul says, I'm not crushed. I'm persecuted. But I am not abandoned. Struck down, but never destroyed. Because we got God on our side. When you witness the goodness of God, it renews your mind. You say, I want to see the good in people. You say, I want, you say, I want to see the best in people. I want to see the opportunity, not the opposition. How many are glad God looked beyond your faults? And how many are glad he saw the good in you? He could have cast you down, but he didn't. Also, God's love gifts us with his best. But those gifts can become burdens when not used properly. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. How many know God loves us? So he gives us good things as a blessing because he loves us. But when we don't handle those gifts properly, they no longer become blessings. 
They become burdens. And so the Sabbath we see here was being misused. It was meant to be a blessing to bring rest. And the Sabbath is the only law that, that gives a picture of creation. Okay? Six days was work, work, work. And I'm trying not to sound like Rihanna because Matt, Pastor Matt did it last week. Six days work, 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 rest. One of the ways that we misuse or we mishandle God's gifts is we switch the order of things. What if I said rest, 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 work? It doesn't work, does it? It's out of order. And so what the Pharisees did was they took a gift from God that was God's idea and they took the gift and put it in front of the more important thing which was people. And they held it against Jesus and tried to make it look like that was God's idea. And so sometimes we can do the same thing with the things that God gives us. Now, for example, we may wait until we're in trouble to pray. And then when we pray, we go, God, where were you? Right? Or maybe we uh, shop and pay bills before we tithe. Oh, it's too early for that. Too early, pastor. Don't do that. Right? Or how about this one? God gives us something that's beautiful and in the context of marriage, sex is a beautiful thing. But we take it out of order and we have sex outside of marriage. And instead of becoming a blessing, instead of it being beautiful, what happens is we know in our hearts that it's wrong. And afterwards, we walk away feeling guilty and feeling bad. It's no longer a blessing. It's a curse. And when we take the gift of God and use it wrong it becomes destructive. So, if, if prejudice is usually associated with racism, perversion is usually associated with something sexual. And all the meaning of perversion means is to use a gift out of context, not in the way that it was intended. And so it doesn't have to be something sexual to be perverted. We can take any gift of God and use it wrong. And God going, uh, you just uh, perverted what I meant for a blessing for you. Sabbath was a gift, but they twisted it. Mark 2.27, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for Sabbath. Now again, we don't celebrate the Sabbath the way they did back then. So it's hard for us to connect with that. So let me put it another way. God made things for man, not man made for things. If that makes sense. Turn to your neighbor and say, you missed that. See, that's why I bring my own Holy Spirit in case you guys don't respond. I got my own Holy Spirit with me. Come on, Pastor Roland. That was good. That was, whew. So the Sabbath was created for man, not man for Sabbath. 
Sex was created for man. Man was not created for sex. And when we take it out of context, out of order, it becomes twisted and it becomes disfigured just like the man's hand. So now we're seeing some symbolism here. And why do we chase things that are supposed to serve us and we end up serving it because we're chasing so hard after it and then we catch it and we realize it doesn't fulfill us the way that it was supposed to because we took it out of order. To the religious mind, Jesus had it twisted. Why would Jesus choose to show up and heal someone on the wrong day? It was the wrong day. It was the Sabbath. Why would you pick then, Jesus? You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Jesus was a rabbi. He practiced the culture. It's where he grew up. But how many know it's the Pharisees that were wrong? They were willing to let a man miss a blessing so that they can observe a Sabbath. This man with a mangled hand, they were willing, they were willing to let him suffer and let him miss a blessing so that they can observe. Mark, in the book of Mark, this is one of Jesus' other disciples. He also wrote about this incident, and he adds a bit more color to the situation. He said this in Mark 3, 4, and 5. He said to them, it is, lawful, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger. This is the way Mark put it. This is what Matthew didn't say. He asked them the question that they couldn't even answer. And Jesus asked them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he looked around because they were silent, and it says he was angry. I'm sorry to mess up your image of the nice Jesus, the one sitting by the stream with the staff with the sheep. It's not the Jesus that showed up here. And it wasn't just when he flipped tables in the temple. Jesus was mad here. He looked around with them, at them with anger, and he grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Now, if I were to write this, or for most of us, you might relate with this, we would think that our bad hand, the one that we hide, that we don't want people to see, that he would have healed it first and then we would have stretched it out for everyone to see. But it didn't happen that way. Jesus wants us to express a little bit of faith. If we're going to get the blessing, he says, take the bad hand. Uh, uh, in the book of Luke, it tells us that it was his right hand. And so if you think about the right hand, it's the, you know, for most of us, it's the dominant hand. Any lefties in here? God bless you, girl. Yeah, you're one of many, but, but the context of this is that it was the dominant hand. And in Jewish culture, the right hand was the hand that you used to bless. The man needed a blessing to be a blessing. And Jesus said, stick that hand out. And God is calling us. I don't know what you're going through. Stick that hand out because God's got a blessing for you. 
He's got a healing for you. He's got a breakthrough for you. They took the Sabbath and instead of it serving them, they were serving it. I'm not sure why, but we sure have a way of messing things up, don't we? I don't know about you, but I'm glad you don't know most of my mail. I mean, I just, I'm like, God, I don't know what you see in me. It's like he gets the the worst end of the deal. I went to a mechanic yesterday, and my car is nine years old now. And we had run that thing into the ground. We've hauled more church stuff. We've gone on more um, unnecessary off-road trips. And, uh, and so I took it to a mechanic, and I said, hey, I really need help. My, my car, when it's fine, I changed the water pump, and I did a, the thermostat, and I did all these things, but when I go up a hill on the freeway, it still overheats. And he was like, I was like, thanks, man. He said, pop the hood. I was at O'Reilly's, and I was just asking anybody with a green shirt, can someone speak to my situation? And he said, you're in luck. This guy right here, he comes in all the time. He's, a, he's an actual mechanic. This guy spent two hours with me. He came to the conclusion, bro, you need to get rid of this car. (laughs) And I said, I don't know if I'm ready for another car payment. He said, well, it's your choice. Having though I got real sober real quick. And I was like, ugh. So now we're looking at another car payment eventually. But, uh, but man, we, we messed that car up. But I'm, I'm, I'm believing God's got a blessing. Girl, uh, right? Lord Jesus, please come through, come through, come through. <laughs> but even when we mess things up and get things out of order, Jesus still has a fix. He still has a fix. And your situation doesn't identify you. It says he was the man with the shriveled hand. It didn't say he was the shrivel-handed man, right? So, so I just happen to be the guy who's slightly overweight. I'm not the overweight guy. Amen. That didn't go the way I wanted it to, but here's the last point. God extends relief from our burdens when we rest in the finished work of Jesus, who is the Sabbath. This is what we can't miss today. Jesus is the Sabbath. When we're looking for rest, Pastor Matt, in a sentence, almost preached my message. You want to be refreshed? You want rest? Let me tell you how. Number one, come to Jesus. Because he is the Sabbath. And instead of healing him first and then showing his hand, he did it the other way. Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. Whatever's in your mind, it it doesn't work that way. We come to him on his terms. We do it his way. He did what Jesus said to do. And he received his breakthrough. And I'm convinced that there's some of us here today, we are just one decision of obedience away from a breakthrough where we may not want to show that mangled hand. Jesus is saying, put it out there. Watch what I do. He stretched and God did it. It happened on an, on an unusual day. 
It happened at an unusual time. And it happened in an unusual way. On a day when there was supposed to be no work. There was supposed to be no work. His hand started working. On a day when there was supposed to be no work. You know when God's going to do it? When you least expect it. And you know who God is going to use to do it or to receive it? The ones who least deserve it. See, if we were religious, we're like, oh, they don't deserve that blessing. How many of you have ever seen someone get blessed? And you're like, God, wait a minute, I'm more holy than that person. Right? Why are they getting a prophetic word and it's so good? I know their life. I know what they're really like. It's that religious spirit. Let God, let God be good. Let God be good and you'll be okay. The real Sabbath is Jesus himself. We can stretch out our bad hand in faith because he stretched out his arms and did the work. And it's in that work that we can rest because he is a complete God and you can't outdo him and you cannot outgive him. Say it's finished. Say I don't have to work anymore. Say I'm free. I'm free. And just receive it. Bow your head. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I just pray for us today. Lord, that we would not get this one wrong. That Lord, your gifts are meant to be a blessing. They're meant to serve us, Lord, and you give so many. But Lord, they only work when we receive them and use them the way that you intended. Lord, forgive us for putting more focus on a gift and less focus on the giver. Lord, we want to switch that back. We don't want to have those things out of order. So today I pray you help us put things in proper order and we want to put you first. And if you're here today and I want to pray with you, if you say God is not first in my life, maybe you've made a decision like this before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this. But you're here today and you're saying, yeah, God, I want to put you first, period. That's it. I just want to put you first and you want to give your life to him. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand? God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? For the sake of that one person, can we pray together? Can we all stand up to our feet? Jesus, say Jesus. You're an amazing God. You're a generous God. And you're a good God. There is no bad in you. There is no change in you. I thank you for that. I ask you for your forgiveness. And I ask you to come into my heart. I believe that you
you spilled your blood for me and that the blood has the power to wash away my sins and make me right before you. Change me and give me the grace to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate the one person who made that decision? Isn't God amazing? Let me just remind you that God's got incredible things for you. He's got gift after gift after gift. And he had you in mind when he gave them. Lift your hands and say, I receive them. Right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.